As you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. And last week we began this new series on the parables of Jesus. And we basically looked last Sunday at the, the purpose of parables as we introed this. And all through our summer, we're going to take time and go through various parables of Jesus as we go through different accounts in the Gospels. And we're going to have different people sharing through this. Um, and so basically, as we saw last week, Jesus was using parables, speaking in parables, ultimately to conceal truth, but then also to reveal truth. And that mattered, that differed by the soils, uh, the condition of people's hearts. And so Jesus here now comes in, and oftentimes people can easily misunderstand or confuse parables or just like not understand them at all. It reminds me of a story of a man that got a job as a, a night security at a, at a factory. And he was told that there's been a lot of theft in the factory by the night crew. And so they wanted to, he really needed him to keep an eye on things. And so uh, he comes first day on the job. The, the night crew is, you know, clocking out. And they're all leaving. And he notices one man come walking up with a wheelbarrow filled with newspapers. And this security is going, what is this all about? This guy's surely hiding something in these newspapers. So he stops the man. He looks through all the newspapers. And he's like, there's nothing here. What are you doing with a bunch of newspapers? And the man said, I just collect them from the break room. I recycle them. I get a little bit of money for it. It's just kind of my thing. And so I just gather up all the newspapers here. The security guy's like, well, okay, you know, go ahead. And so next night, he's on the job. Same guy comes walking up with a wheelbarrow, more newspapers. This guy's like, this is, oh, this is getting weird. This, there's got to be something here. So he checks this man, checking his pockets. He's first game. He's going through all the newspapers, still finding nothing. And the security's like, that's odd. Well, okay, go ahead. So this happens repeatedly, night after night. And after a couple months on the job, the security man's called into the manager's office. The manager brings him in. He says, listen, I'm going to have to fire you. And the security guy's, what are you talking about firing me? I've been doing my job solidly. Nothing has gotten by me at all. And the manager says, well, can you explain the missing 50 wheelbarrows? <laughs> you see, we're very prone to miss the obvious if we're not seeking to be perceptive in these things. And it was that way with Jesus. Jesus here is, is using parables now. He's speaking parables to reveal truth to some, but also conceal that truth from others. And you're wondering, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus not want to just give the truth out to everybody? Well, Matthew chapter 13 lists eight parables for us. And this is a turning point. If you were here with us last Sunday, you kind of heard some of this. I'm going to review it. But Matthew chapter 13 is a real turning point in the, in the ministry of Jesus and, and in the gospel of Matthew. Because remember, Jesus came on the scene back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's laying out, hey guys, listen up. The king is here. He's here to bring the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this would have been something that everybody was waiting for, looking forward to, anticipating. They've seen from Old Testament scriptures that this kingdom would be established and Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah, would reign and rule there on earth where all the earth would be filled with the glory of God. What a glorious day that was going to be. So they were expecting it, they're anticipating it. But Jesus comes on the scene now, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yet what do we see happening? Well, like I said, Matthew 13 
pivotal chapter because of what we see happening in Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is out, he's sharing the gospel, but it's rattling some people, it's offending some people. They're not, they're not open to receive it. And the ones that aren't open to this truth is the religious leaders, the very ones that should have been the ones front of the line going, this is the one we've been waiting for, man. This is the guy fulfilling all of the scriptures that we've been teaching. This is it. And yet they're rejecting Jesus. So much so that it says in Matthew 12, verse 14, that the Pharisees, these religious leaders, went out and plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. Oh my goodness. Jesus is there. He's healing the sick. He's providing for the poor. He's bringing sight to the blind. He's delivering people from demon possession. All these amazing things. And yet the Pharisees are going, we got to kill this guy. You're thinking, how does this happen? What is going on? And you see, the Pharisees have hardened their heart. They said, we don't like the way this guy's, this guy's not doing things the way that we are expecting him to do it. And in fact, look at what they say in Matthew 12, verse 24. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Jesus is recognizing that there's this butting of heads now between these kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, which are operated by, by Satan, the ruler of this world. And there's this confrontation happening, this conflict happening right now. And so Jesus comes and he's seeing and he's knowing their thoughts. I mean, but they're, they're pretty public with their, like, we got to get rid of this guy. So Matthew 13, Jesus comes now and he begins to teach in parables. Again, this is not Jesus saying, I don't want these Pharisees to be a part of this kingdom. He's saying their hearts are already hard. And I'm going to speak in a manner that's not going to bring them into greater conviction or condemnation to where they just continue to suppress the truth, continue to harden their heart to the point where they are just too far gone. In other words, Jesus spoke in parables so as to not cause them further condemnation or judgment for the rejecting of God's truth. See, parables were in a sense a show of God's mercy in bringing his message to those who wanted to receive it, but allowing others to walk away thinking they just heard some interesting story without any spiritual ramifications. Parables both reveal truth, but conceal truth. And that depended on the condition of the heart. Much like what we see in the parable of the sower, or more likely the parable of the soils, that this whole chapter begins in proclaiming this first of these eight parables. And we looked at that last week. But it's important that we see again why Jesus is coming. Because Jesus said in, in verse 11, if you want to jump Matthew 13, verse 11, when the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak in parables? He said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. To you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, a mystery, again, was not something that had to be 
figured out or decoded, like it was a riddle that you had to kind of, you know, solve this, this puzzle. That's not what a biblically, that's not what a mystery is. A mystery biblically is something that was once concealed in the Old Testament, but has now been revealed in the New Testament. It's ultimately come about through divine revelation to those who are in Christ. Here's an example, the church. Ephesians chapter three, Paul lays out the mystery of the church. You see, in the Old Testament, this was something that was not understood that Jesus would bring together Jews and Gentiles and make them a new humanity, a new man, the church, the bride of Christ, where they'd all be one in Jesus. That was something unheard of, unknown in the Old Testament, but now in the new, now to those who are in Christ, they understand. It's been revealed. And so Jesus says, here's the mystery of the kingdom. This is something that, that was not known in the way that it's gonna unfold today. Because here's what the Old Testament knew. They knew that a kingdom was coming. They knew that the Messiah would be this deliverer, this ruler that was gonna come. That they knew. But what they didn't know is the way that this kingdom was gonna unfold. And that the kingdom, after Jesus came the first time, would be actually prolonged or postponed. And we'd enter into this interim age. And this interim age is known as the, the church age. Because the Pharisees and much of Israel, what did they do? They rejected the king. If you reject the king, you're rejecting the kingdom. And they put it aside. And so Jesus says, this has always been the plan, but what you fail to understand is that this kingdom is gonna unravel at a later time. And we're gonna enter in this interim age right now. This is what Jesus is proclaiming through these parables. The parables are not revealing then so much for us what the kingdom is going to be like as a lot of people like to try to interpret them as. But what Jesus is ultimately laying out for us is that the kingdom or this intermage is going to look very differently than what you anticipated. And we're going to see that as we go along and look at a couple of these parables here today. But this is ultimately why, why Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, you know, verse 9. When here in, in Matthew 13, verse 14, it says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. There will be those that will hear everything Jesus is saying, but they're not going to really hear. They're not going to really understand because they're not receptive to it. There'll be those that are seeing all the things that Jesus is doing, but they're not really, again, receiving or knowing what it is he's actually doing and what he's at work doing here. So this is what Jesus is revealing to us in these parables, that things are going to unfold in a very different way than many of them at this time would be expecting. So let's look at this. We looked at the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. It, last week, we went through uh, up to verse 17, but now let's pick it up in verse 18 as we look at the parable of the sower being explained for us now. It says in verse 18, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So the disciples now, they're, they're a little bit unsure, you know, what Jesus is talking about. Again, a lot of the parables were given to where people could go, oh, great story, interesting, little gardening tip there for me, I appreciate that. But then those that are going, okay, Jesus, I think there's more to this. What, 
And those that come and, and seek more, they're going to be given. That's why Jesus said in verse 7, more is going to be given to you. Because you're in Christ now. You're, you're wanting to learn. You're, you're growing in these truths. But for others, they're going to walk away. And they're not going to perceive what's really going on. So the disciples here, they're seeking more information. So Jesus now is laying out what these things ultimately mean here. He takes time to break it down, and we're glad he did. And yet it's still amazing to see how people can misread or misinterpret these parables and try to put them into their own theological framework. But it's important to see exactly what Jesus was meaning by these parables and what he's speaking in these kingdom parables here. Because when you, you know, you, you, you have Jesus interpreting what certain things are so clearly, it's important that we go, what did you intend by this, Jesus? Because here, Jesus says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, what's the word of the kingdom? Well, when you look at the other parables, Luke chapter 8, verse 11, simply says that the seed is the word of God. It's the, the truth of God. Ultimately, you could say that that's the, the gospel, the good news coming out. So we begin to see what Jesus is important. We don't have to try to fit things around what we want. Them to be. Listen, I've been in a church <laughs> where I heard the speaker get up and he began to touch on the parable of the sower. And he said, and guys, the seed is your finances. And as you sow your finances, you know, into the church, you're going to reap back from that a hundredfold, 60, 30. You're going to, I'm just like, can somebody give me something to throw at this guy? I need to, I need to straighten this out. Like I was, I was generally, I could operate in the fruit of self-control. Wasn't he? I was being tested that day, but I was like, are you kidding me? Can you just like read down a few more verses and see that the seed is not your fun and nowhere does it say that in the word. It's right there. The seed is the word of God. And yet how often we can misinterpret even when Jesus is being so clear in what these things are here. So what Jesus is revealing is in this parable, the word, the word of God, the truth, the good news, the gospel is going out. Now many people are going to hear it but the results are going to vary based on the condition of the hearer's hearts. See, we might all look at this and go, oh man, Jesus has arrived. He's preaching good news. And not only Jesus, but John the Baptist and then disciples, the word is going out. How is the whole world not going to be converted? This is surely the, the, the end result of all this. And yet we don't see that happen. In fact, we see that multitudes are not accepting, receiving, and turning to Christ. And yet Jesus is laying out for us here in this parable of the sower that this is the way it's going to be. In this interim age, the seed is going to go out, but that seed is going to land on different conditions of the heart. And ultimately, he lays out four conditions for us. First of all, there's the first condition, the hard heart. So Jesus laid out here this hard heart. It's where in this day, Fields would have these pass along the perimeter that people, when they're traveling about, could walk through the, the edge of the field and not trample down on any of the, the, the crops or anything like that. But that path would get very hard pressed. It'd be like hard pandas. Many people were walking on that dirt would just get trampled down and become so hard. So that when seed would get scattered on that pathway, it, it wouldn't immediately begin to take root or get planted. 
In fact, it would sit on the surface that birds would just come and pluck it up. And Jesus says, these birds are the wicked one who is seeking to pluck away anything that somebody hears or might initially receive of the word of God. And you know that to be true when you might, you know, see somebody that is hearing the gospel and there's an initial kind of like, oh, that is good, man. I need that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see them a week later and they just had like this week from hell where you see that the enemy has been right there going, man, I got to devour this quickly before it takes root. And the enemy is right there to work in people's lives to try to pluck away whatever seed has been kind of scattered upon the soil of their heart. And so how we need to be aware of that. The enemy is active. And that's why these kingdom parables are not speaking about the actual kingdom. How do you know that? Because here in the parable of the sower, and as we'll see in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the enemy is active. You see, let me explain something to you here. If you're wondering, well, when does the kingdom come? I believe that Jesus is coming back again, literally, physically, at that second coming of Christ. When at that time, he is going to usher in his kingdom reign on the earth. It's known as the millennial reign, a thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. And that's gonna be happening literally and physically on the earth. Now we are in this church age, we as a church are gonna be raptured up before Jesus comes again. It's gonna usher in then after the rapture that seven year tribulation where God once again is calling Israel back to him and he's continuing to do a work in their lives. But for seven years, this tribulation period is gonna go on, but then Christ is gonna come back after that seven years at his second coming and then usher in the kingdom reign of Christ. That's gonna be a glorious time but that's a future event. And you see, a lot of people like to kind of promote this idea that these parables are all about the kingdom. But you know, during the millennial reign, guess what? Satan is bound. He's not active. He's not doing nothing. That's why it's so glorious, because nobody's being tempted. There's this righteousness that is ruling during the reign of Jesus on the earth. So these parables are not speaking about the kingdom to come. It's speaking about a condition that we're seeing unfolding during this interim period right now. Satan is at work. He's looking to pluck away those seeds. So there's the hard heart, but then there's a shallow heart. Look at verse 20 with me. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So some fields that the seed landed on were filled with rocks. Now, when you go to Israel, how many people have been to Israel before? Oh, cool. You go to Israel, guess what? There are no shortages of rocks, right? Rocks are everywhere. Just like my yard. I'm like, why is there so many rocks in my yard? But there's rocks everywhere. And so what this is relaying here now for us is that some of that seed is going to land on, on, on the ground and it might begin to take a bit of root. And there might be this indication of life at first. It's, it says that this is received with joy. 
And, and no doubt you can witness again some people who hear the gospel and they seem to receive it and it's great. And they're just excited, man. They're just like, whoa. And they're, they're just talking about Jesus to everybody. You think this person's gonna be like the next Billy Graham. He's a, dy he's a dynamo for Jesus. And you're thinking, man, this guy is just gonna be amazing for the work of the Lord. And then you see them like a year later, you know, and they're just like totally lost. They're gone. You're wondering, what happened? That seed, though it may have begun to sprout a little bit, man, it began to encounter the rocks and that root didn't get down deep enough. It was shallow ground that it didn't last. And the rocks began to crowd it out. Here Jesus says that it has no root. It might endure for a while, but when tribulation and persecution comes, and why does tribulation and persecution come? Why does it happen according to the word here? Because of what? The word. In other words, maybe there's people that receive the word and they think, oh, this is wonderful. Jesus is going to just make everything better in my life. I'm going to have a bigger bank account now. I'll get that promotion at work. Maybe I'll get a girlfriend for the first time. Man, Jesus is going to make everything great. Or a boyfriend for you single girls too. And, and it's like, Jesus is going to change my life, man. He's going to make everything better. All these things that I need and want, he's going to, he's going to provide for me. He's going to be so good. And suddenly you start living your life and you're realizing, oh man, I'm still going through Difficult, things aren't always easy. And maybe you're getting together with your peers and your peers are like, oh man, are you one of those Bible thumpers now? You're one of those Jesus freaks, man, don't preach to me. And they start getting persecuted. Or maybe they start realizing, oh my goodness, the word actually calls me to take up my cross daily and deny myself and follow you. Man, I, I should have read the fine print in the, the contract I was signing to begin with. Like, I missed that. And suddenly they're realizing this life in Jesus isn't always going to be easy or comfortable. And they begin to go, I don't know if it's worth it. And they fall away. That seed didn't grow deep enough. And they didn't allow their lives to be discipled and to see life in Jesus is far greater and better than anything I might have to give up or sacrifice. In fact, the sacrifices that I might make for Jesus pale in comparison to the sacrifice he made for me just to experience life in him. Jesus would say, what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Paul would say in Romans 8, 16, I, I, I consider the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul is saying, I can take all the difficulties of this life, put them on one side of the scale, and that's that idea of like, you know, consider, I weigh, he goes, I put the blessings that I have in Jesus and the glory that's to come, and it's going to tip in favor of what I have in Jesus every time. No matter what this world might throw at me, it's far better the life that I have in Jesus. He's done everything for me. I have life in him, and it's only in him. Life now to abundance, but life eternal. That's why discipleship is so important that we don't allow people to receive the gospel and then just move on and start to doubt and question and go, oh man, this is kind of hard. We disciple them and say, man, life in Jesus is always gonna be better than anything else you might encounter. So Jesus says, here's one of the conditions that that seed might land on. You got a hard heart, you have shallow hearts, but you've also got crowded hearts. Look at what he says here in verse 22. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. 
Now, those of you that love gardening, is there some people that love gardening here? I mean, do you love gardening or is there something that you have to do? I mean, you, I think for some people you love gardening. Um, I am, I'm not a gardener, but I've been a disciple of gardening. My wife has been teaching me what to pull up, what are the weeds and what are not. But you see, when you do gardening, you recognize that as much as you're planting the good stuff, weeds are going to come, right? Weeds are going to grow. And those weeds have a way of choking out the things that you want or overtaking the things that you're like, what is, this is not right. It's a result of the curse. Yes, it is, right? It's sin. That's the result. But Jesus brings up thorns, right? I mean, any of you that have struggled with blackberry bushes, right? I've got a neighbor with blackberry bushes that now has blessed me with blackberry bushes. And those things grow like stink. And they are such a nuisance. And they will certainly choke out anything else. And that's what this, this parable is teaching, that in this crowded heart, there are things that come in that begin to grow around it and begin to choke out the, the life of that seed. Now, Jesus mentions a couple things that might do it. He says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. See, there are those that, again, they might hear the gospel. They're like, oh, this is good. But then they start worrying about things in the world. Well, how am I going to provide for that? How am I going to take care of that? Is this person going to be safe? They start really having to care for the things of the world, or maybe it's to be popular in the world. And they start looking at the things, rather than just having their focus on Jesus and living for him. Understand that we're in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We saw in Philippians how our, our citizenship is in heaven. We have to understand that everything in this world, even the problems, the difficulties, they're temporary. This is not our home. We can't get caught up in the cares of this world. We need to be caught up in just living for Jesus, enjoying in him. So you have the cares of the world, but then you have the deceitfulness of riches. Now, having money is not wrong. I'm okay with money. I like money. Having money is not wrong. But the question is, does, does money have you? Because what oftentimes happens as people maybe fall into money, they have money, is that money begins to distract. And notice what Jesus says, it's the deceitfulness of riches. Because a lot of people can begin to think that riches are going to satisfy, riches are going to make me happy, riches are going to take care of all my problems. And suddenly, you begin to realize, riches don't do any of those things. It's Jesus that's gonna bring satisfaction. It's Jesus that's gonna make me happy. It's Jesus that's gonna carry me and help me. Having money's not wrong, but we gotta be careful that we're keeping our, again, focus on Jesus. First Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10 says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, notice, it's not money, it's the love of money. It's the unhealthy pursuit of money that is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and, per, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How we need to keep things in perspective and know that, man, our passion, our pursuit needs to always be Jesus above everything else. Don't let that heart become crowded with other things. Let Jesus be dominant and reign and rule 
on that throne of your heart. Lastly, number four, we've seen a hard heart, we've seen a shallow heart, a crowded heart, but now we come to a receptive heart, verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. This is those that, that hear the word, they understand it, they receive it, but now they're also living it out. These are the people that will go on now to bear much fruit in their lives and living fruitful lives for Jesus. Man, that's what it's all about. That's the, the glorious life to live is saying, Jesus, I want my life to be used to you, to be fruitful for you. Now, it's interesting because we see this progression going from 100-fold, some 60, and then some 30. It's, it's kind of decreasing now, Jesus said this parable was a real key to understanding other parables in Mark 4, verse 13. See, as we said, it's a mystery, and it's revealing something that hasn't been clearly seen before. But because it's a parable, it's only going to be seen by those who want to see and want to understand. The mystery, again, is that this kingdom would not be ushered in at the immediate arrival of Jesus at his first coming. Jesus would be rejected. And like I said, when you reject the king, you reject the kingdom. It's an interim age that we're living in as the kingdom is in postponement. And things are going to develop right now in a very different way. Things aren't going to progressively get better until you just kind of suddenly realize, oh, the kingdom is here. How's that happen? We've just been living for Jesus and we just usher in the kingdom. This is great. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that things are gonna progressively get worse. And, and it almost seems to indicate that by like, initially there's gonna be like a hundredfold, but then a 60, 60 fold, then, then 30 fold. It seems like it's digressing rather than progressing in a, in a positive way. Now, the parable of the wheat and the tares seems to also kind of indicate that things are gonna look very differently than what others would have probably been anticipated. As they think about the kingdom, they would have thought, oh man, Jesus is here. Now we can just see the world get turned around. Now we'll see Rome overthrown. Israel establishes a nation again. Things are just gonna be perfect as they should be. That's what people would have been expecting. But Jesus is laying out for us some truth here in these kingdom parables that things are gonna look a little differently for the next foreseeable future. As we move into that parable of the wheat and the tares, we begin to see the current age is not going to be one of this outward kingdom life. At least not as the Old Testament had said, when the, the whole earth will experience this peace and reign of Jesus, and the whole earth will just, you know, glorify the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 11, and chapter 65 speak about this kingdom reign, that millennial reign of Jesus. But this isn't what Jesus is describing in the kingdom parables. And it's important to kind of catch this because some will teach what's known as kingdom now theology. If you've never heard of kingdom now theology, it's the idea that the church is to be active in the world in a way where we're just kind of like overtaking all the different influences of culture to where we're just initiating or 
ushering in the kingdom of God. And we, the church, are going to be the ones, the proponents, to bring in the kingdom of God so that Jesus just has to kind of arrive and he just has to inherit the kingdom that we've already set up. That's what kingdom now theology teaches. And it's going to, it's going to drastically change how you perceive what's kind of going on in the world. Or there are those that believe in an all-millennial where it's all kind of allegorical, or again, post-millennial where Jesus is going to come back after this millennial reign, which is like, well, no, we need the king if we're going to have a kingdom. He doesn't come afterwards. So there's these different views that get promoted. But this kingdom now theology is a very false, heretical teaching that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. And a lot of people like to try to fit these parables around this, their, their own theological framework and go, oh, see, things are just going to get wonderful and good. And they'll use parables like the parable of the mustard seed there in verse 31. I know I'm skipping over the wheat and the tares, but just go with me on this, okay? You look at the parable of the mustard seed and they'll go, oh, look at this. This little seed gets planted and out of it grows this, this tree that's abnormal for a little mustard seed. This great tree grows, and suddenly you see all the birds now, it says, nesting in its branches. And people go, oh, see? That's the influence of the church. The church is going to grow so large, and it's going to encompass all people from everywhere. It's just going to come and find refuge in the church. And people will teach this parable that way. But remember, Jesus says, if you don't understand that parable of the sower, how are you going to understand all the parables? So I think there's some real keys to learn. Jesus mentions birds are going to nest in the branches. Jesus also mentioned birds in the parable of the sower. Who are the birds in the parable of the sower? Somebody? Who? Satan. I know you hate answering because you're like, I think this is the answer, but Brent always throws something, a curveball, and say, like, probably not the right answer. I go, nope, you got it wrong. It was a very easy, easy question for you this time around. You're right. It's Satan. And so what I believe the parable of the mustard seed is, is referring to that in this age that we're living in, man, we're going to see this monstrosity kind of grow. And it's going to encompass that which is not always healthy and good. The parable of the leaven next in verse 33. People go, oh, see, the church is going to have this influencing effect in the world where it's just going to permeate through everything and the church is going to go out and we're just going to see the kingdom of God ushered in. Do you know what leaven represents in the scripture? Sin. But people go, oh, but, but no, not in the parable of the leaven. No, leaven is good. No, leaven is sin. And it's going to have that effect in the, in the world where we're going to see things of sin just grow and continue to permeate in the world. The world is not going to get better until Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, returns and establishes his kingdom and his reign. That's what we look forward to. But in the meantime, don't lose heart. Jesus said, it's not always going to be great, but know that I'm at work and I'm coming again. He's, it's almost like he's preparing us to say, don't lose heart when you see things getting evil and wicked. I've said it's going to be that way. But take heart because Jesus is still sovereign. Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still reigning. So the parable of the wheat and the tares says this, verse 24. Everybody still with me so far? You tracking? I hope so. The first two services, man, I had to rush through this stuff. I didn't get to it all. But that's why I love the 1130 service. I'm not going to kill you guys today. But I can just breathe a little bit. It's nice. All right. Verse 
24. Thank you. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this parable again would have brought a little bit of confusion to those that were listening. But the disciples, again, the ones now with a receptive heart to learn and understand and to receive that truth, they come to Jesus now and they ask for an explanation. Look at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and he went into the house and and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And so Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus shows us here that in this interim form of the kingdom, we're going to see true believers that are living among Satan's counterfeits. The devil is at work. The devil is active. That's why we're not in the kingdom looking at these parables. We're in an age where Jesus says, the devil's going to be at work. And, and notice it says there in verse 25 that while men slept. Is the church asleep today? Or is the church alert? Because First Peter tells us that the devil... It says, be sober and be vigilant because the devil, your adversary, is like a roaring lion seeking whom whom he may devour. Be sober and be vigilant. But yet, notice it's when people are asleep that the enemy comes and he sows those tares. And he wants to infiltrate the church. And he wants to come in and sow right alongside true believers counterfeit. People, people that are not truly interested in Jesus or, or the gospel. Or he sows those in the world and he continues to influence the world with evil. Now, no doubt we don't just roll over and go, well, that's too bad, that's the way the world's gonna go. No, we are called, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, to be salt and light in the world, to have an influence. We desire to do that. But just understand that just as that seed goes out, man, Only a quarter of the people, according to the parable. There's four different soils. There's only one soil that's going to really be receptive. It's not always going to take with people. 
But don't be discouraged, don't lose heart. Don't think, oh, the devil's winning. No, the devil is just simply being allowed to function right now, but he's on borrowed time. And Jesus is coming back, and what he's referring to, what he's relaying in this message here is that let it just be, and there's coming a day when Jesus is going to make it right, when Jesus is going to gather all those that are of the wicked one, that are following the devil, that have rejected Jesus, and he will gather them together, and he'll put them aside, where they'll be in their eternal, sadly, eternal punishment. Jesus is going to right every wrong. And he's going he's gonna to turn every injustice around or, or at least judge every injustice. We can sometimes wonder, how is this evil allowed to continue on? How is this able to... Con-? And just know, Jesus is saying, it's not going to continue on. It's staying like that for a time, but it's an interim period. But there's coming time when the kingdom will be established, when the enemy will no longer be able to have any influence in the world. So don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't question. See, a lot of people go, man, if if God is real, why is there evil in the world? And a lot of people get tripped up on that question. A lot of people go, yeah, why is that? Well, there's evil in the world because there's sinful people in the world. That's it. Everyone has free choice to follow God or not. If there was no choice, then there would be no real loving relationship before God. So God allows Satan to be at work in the world and, and, and for people to have an alternative. See, just like with Adam and Eve, when he places in the garden, he says, you may eat of all the trees of the garden, but there's one tree you shall not eat of. You think, gee, God, why would you do that? Why would you not just eliminate that tree? Everything would be great. Because if there's no alternative or opportunity of choice, then there can be no real, true, loving relationship with God. In other words, then we're just programmed. We're just robots. We're just doing what is there before us to do. But God gives us free choice so that we have choice. And he gives an alternative. You can follow God or you can follow Satan. And Satan is at work. And he's drawing people and he's planting people right next to the very believers that God is raising up. And you might go, well, why can't God just right now remove all the evil? He could, but then he would pretty much just be obliterating the planet. We'd all be gone. You might go, well, no, 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 I don't do evil. No, I'm, I'm one of the good guys. I don't do evil. You sin. Sin is not good. Sin is evil. Oh, we like to sugarcoat it. We like to say, you know, yeah, I might stumble from time to time, but I don't do evil. Listen, you're sinners. Praise the Lord, we're saved by the grace of God. But the fact is, if God were to wipe out evil in the world, we'd be gone. Now, thankfully that Sin has been judged on the cross to those that have put their trust in Jesus. But those that haven't, there is coming a time when God will judge the injustices and judge the wicked. And that's what the parable of the wheat and the tares lays out for us. But in the meantime, we recognize that there's a a ruler of this world. His name is Satan. And he's at work. And God's allowing that. But Satan can't do anything that God doesn't allow. Just read the book of Job. Satan's not in control. 
but he's allowed to carry out ultimately the purposes of God. He's given people a choice to truly choose to follow Jesus or to reject Jesus and follow the alternative. It's one or the other. And the parables relay, that's the condition, that's the situation, that's the, the reality of this interim age, this time that we live in. And, and it's presented to us to go, don't lose heart. The kingdom is coming. But the kingdom will be established when the king returns. I tell you, I believe he's coming soon. We see the world that we live in. And, and, and again, Jesus laid out so clearly to us in 2 Timothy 3, or sorry, Paul lays out so clearly to us. Yes, and all who desire to live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul tells us earlier in chapter that the love of many are growing cold. It's, people are getting worse and worse. Don't fret and fear when difficulty arises or even when persecution comes and go, this isn't the way it's supposed to be for us Christians. No, that's the way that Jesus lays it out for us. But don't lose heart because he's coming again. And as sons of the kingdom, we inherit the kingdom. And we will reign and rule with Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. And and what we see going on in the world today, it makes me think and believe that day is coming very soon. May we be sober and vigilant. May we be waiting our king. But in the meantime, oh, let us be scattering that seed, seeing others join in and be sons of the kingdom, receive this gospel, the salvation of Jesus. May we continue to be following Christ closely, keeping our eyes on him, but doing all we can to see many more come and be a part of the glorious kingdom that is soon to come. All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, we, we thank you for these parables. They're more than just fanciful stories. Lord, you're revealing some important truths to us. And I pray today, though it might be complex, I pray that God, we've simplified this in a way that we are understanding more what you're communicating to us here, causing us to be aware more so of really what's going on in the world, but so that we're not discouraged or dismayed or disillusioned, but rather realizing, Lord, this is exactly what you said would be happening But God, you are coming again soon. Jesus, you're returning, we believe, so soon. And may we be prepared, anticipating, and looking forward to that day. Lord, when we will be a part of your kingdom forevermore. And I pray that we would be those active now in, in casting much seed around of the gospel, of the word of God, to see many more receive that. Open up hearts, Lord. Cause that soil of people's hearts to be receptive to the truth in these days that we live. And lead us on now, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you're watching online perhaps, I want to invite you to receive Jesus. Because we cannot be a part of the kingdom by just living a good life, being a good person, as great as those things are, 
None of that earns us salvation. Jesus did the work for us. He came and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He died and he rose again, securing life for us, not just the abundant life now, but life eternally. And that only gets received and inherited by receiving Jesus, by accepting Jesus, by putting your trust in Jesus, not in yourself. And if you're here today and you've never done that, these kingdom parables show us the kingdom to come, but I believe that we can be experiencing the peace and the reign of Jesus right now in our own lives as we allow Jesus to be the king of our own hearts and lives as he occupies the throne of our heart. Would you receive him today if you have not? Accept Jesus, ask him to forgive you of your sin and put your trust in him for salvation and invite him in to be the Lord and the Savior, the king of your life and become sons of the kingdom as we see here. Know that there is eternal life freely given by his grace to all those that believe and accept Jesus. If you've done that today, would you come and share with us, talk to me after the service or email us to the church. We'd love to share more with you, all right?